Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. You've reached stuff they don't want you to know. You can turn back now or leave a message after the beep. Beep! Uh, I guess, hey, my name's Matt. I'm on the show. I'm not really sure why I'm leaving this voice message, but I just want you guys to know I really like the other two people on the show a lot. Um, the one who's talking right now is not that great, but, but you know, overall the show... I, I love to listen. Matt, I disagree with you entirely. Uh, as Noel, one of the, the guys you just mentioned, you're the, you're the greatest one of the bunch. Wait, how did you get on this voicemail? It's a party line. Oh, crap. This whole episode is one long voicemail. <laughs> uh, they called me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Most importantly, you are still you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. On the Party Line episode, right? Yes, yes. And you've heard us talk, longtime listeners, about our call-in line on previous episodes, but we've never actually played any of the voicemails that we have received until, that is, today. And in the weird meta setup that we just created yeah. <laughs> off air, this is one of the first voicemails you're hearing uh, to, to you from us, I imagine. In fact, when we first started the number, peek behind the curtain here, we were originally concerned that we might not get that many of your fellow listeners involved. 
So just imagine our surprise recently when we checked this and discovered we had well over a hundred voicemails. And Matt, huge thank you to you for assembling these all in one place, listening through to everyone and giving some <laughs> some at times hilarious descriptions via the <laughs> file name. Well, there are some hilarious people that call in and some gosh, some people that have knowledge that I just can't understand, the mm-hmm. unfathomable knowledge. They've got personal experience in a lot of the things we've discussed before. Uh, other people are just really, really sweet. But there <laughs> and is then a, there are a few creeps. There, at least one. They ran the gamut, I think yeah. it's fair to say. Uh, but, but somebody, I just have to give a shout out mm-hmm. to Johnny Planet, who <laughs> I, if you go through, I don't know if he's included in this episode. I don't think he is. Um, but Johnny Planet, uh, has called in at least 12 times, I want to say. Yeah. 12 might be overshooting a little bit. Um, but, man, he just really, really has some cool and interesting experiences throughout the worlds of psychedelic drugs at a certain time mm-hmm. in his life, other substances at a time in his life, and lots and lots of surfing. So he's a bit of a psychonaut. Yeah, he's a fascinating dude. Johnny Planet, JP, that name is up there with Dr. Buzz Rendezvous. Oh, what for sure. Think? For sure. I feel like they should hang I'm out. I'm not aware of uh, Dr. Rendezvous. Dr. Yes, Buzz Rendezvous. Dr. Rendezvous was the nickname for Buzz Aldrin. It was a whole oh, thing. We did a we whole thing. We talked about this? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Buzz. Like Buzz Aldrin from the from the discussion we had about Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, from the earlier episode. Oh, I learned a – I don't want to derail us too much, but I learned a cool Buzz Aldrin fact just okay. while we're here. Do you know how much extra he got paid to travel to the moon? As in like expenses or some kind of – You heard, you saw this too, right? I did. Yeah. He uh, made a grand total of an extra $33.31 on top of his regular pay. Yep. That's, and it was all in freeze-dried ice cream. Sure, yeah. Freeze-dried freeze-dried ice cream and moon dollars, mm. which unfortunately for Dr. Rendezvous turn out not to be a earth currency. But they are delicious as they are made of Swiss cheese. <laughs> yes. Yes, these are the facts behind Moon Dollars, and <laughs> the fact behind this show is that we want to thank everyone who has called in so far. In a surprising relief to our super producer, Paul, we have collectively decided not to play every single uh, one of the 100-plus messages in today's episode. However, we are going to play some of the messages, ones that inspired us, intrigued us, gave us a chuckle, maybe a shiver— and we'll be surprising each other a little bit along the way here. So if you've left us a message, scoot to the edge of your seat. You might just be on the air with us today. If you have not, however, left us a message, don't delay. Drop us a line. We do listen to each one. You can take a cue from your fellow conspiracy realist and reach us directly at 1-833-STDWYTK. You guys always do that, and I, I yeah. never can... Join you. Oh, you can join yeah. anytime. I feel, I feel left out. Uh, again, we have to point this out. Do not call one eight hundred STDWYTK. What's that? What about one um, nine hundred? Well, if you call that, you apparently, according to this caller, mm-hmm. you get this. Hi, this is Christine calling from West Virginia. Did you know that if you dial one eight hundred eight three three seven eight three nine nine eight five, you get an offer for. A Caribbean cruise. Just thought you might want to know that. Bye. 
Yeah, conspiracy cruise. Yeah, maybe. Who that knows? is a real thing, the conspiracy cruise. Yeah. Is it but really? It, yeah, we had an offer to go on in a while back. But honestly, that number could be phishing of some sort. Sure. So don't uh, don't call that number and give anyone any information. We are not affiliated with that. We are one eight three three seven eight three nine nine eight five. But information is power, right? That's so, right. So uh, no word yet on what the nine hundred number leads to. If you are feeling adventurous, that's the real party line. <laughs> give it a shot, but don't be very uh, hesitant to give your credit card information ever. Over the phone. So we found so many cool voicemails. Matt, since you took the backbreaking time, I'm imagining, to set all these up, do you, do you want to do the honors and kick it off? Absolutely. Our first message comes to us from Michael. Gentlemen, my name is Michael. I am from Sydney, Australia. I'm a big fan of the show. I have something that you might find interesting to do some research into. It's a little place in Australia called Pine Gap. It is actually the property of the United States, is one of the United States' largest CIA listing posts in the world, and there's always been a rumour that an Australian Prime Minister was brought down for thinking about removing Pine Gap from Australia. Might be worthwhile you guys taking a look at it, and it would be great to hear that as a show. Well, 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 Michael. Keeping an eye on the watchers, are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we really appreciate this one because it is absolutely correct. And it's something maybe a lot of folks here in the U.S. don't know. Pine Gap is a genuine thing. In fact, there's a little bit of news regarding Pine Gap. Uh, there is a spy thriller about the base or set in the base that is coming out very soon. I'm not sure when it's going to reach the States. Oh my gosh. What is it an Australian production? Yeah. It's called Pine Gap. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> okay. So let's get into what this is. Yeah. So what is it? It's like, a, it looks uh, from the look of it, it looks like Epcot center. <laughs> it looks like <laughs> a bunch of giant kind of hexagonal mm -hmm. golf ball looking things. Oh yeah. Just like the networks, the other five eyes networks mm -hmm. in uh, the UK. Right. All the right. echelon mm -hmm. facilities. And what, I think it's codenamed uh, project rainfall, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've called that there. Well, that was part of the Snowden revelations uh, that the rainfall name there and everything. Uh, uh, but it's officially called the Joint Defense Facility Pine Gap, or the JDFPG. And it has a really weird town next to it, right? Yeah. Alice Springs is a small town close to the base, and a ton of experts who work at Pine Gap live there. At least, I think as of 2016, according to the New York Times, mm -hmm. at least 599 of those residents were Americans. Yeah. So it's kind of got this Oak Ridge vibe or uh, it, the what was the name of that town that we encountered when we were in the, the – Like the, the zone of radio – like lack of – complete lack of radio frequencies, radio waves of any kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just called the zone of silence, right? No, National Radio Quiet Zone. That's it. Nice. Yeah. That's it. Zone of Silence sounds much more sinister. It yeah, does. very similar, right? And what do they do from uh, from this this listening station? They also not only do they monitor incoming um, surveillance, they also control spy satellites, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the place is fascinating. 
the facility, can you mind if we go to the, the history of the facility please, really fast just to do. go through this? Yeah. So in 1966, there was this idea that there needs to be a some kind of space research facility that's going to be used by multiple people. So the uh, Australian government as well as the United States government. Mm-hmm. And because of some of the locations in Australia that are somewhat isolated, they chose this area in Pine Gap. And then in 1970, they started like operating this big facility and it's grown over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like you're saying, Noel, it's usage has kind of changed over the years, but it's always had some kind of control by the CIA, the NSA national security agency and the national reconnaissance office. That's the NRO. And it's officially part of the, um, that echelon program that mm-hmm. we've talked about before in the past. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, what you would have to do, bureaucratically speaking, to be able to visit the base in person. Yeah. Or the installation, I should say. Or at least get an understanding of what's being collected. Mm-hmm. Well, a big thing that's collected is something called geolocational intelligence, mm. which I believe has to do with coordinating airstrikes and helping to pinpoint with great precision locations and triangulating data so that you can actually strike with a very high level of accuracy. Also on a lighter, more inspiring note, this same technology can be used to find downed planes. Oh. Theoretically, because it is so precise. Well, that's nice. That's at least one nice Possibility. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just, we're not going to get too deep into this right now sure. because I think this is probably a, a an episode. For an episode. Yeah, a whole Agreed, episode. Agreed, Matt. Agreed. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, we, we've talked about Men with Hill before in mm-hmm. England, which is another facility such mm-hmm. as this. And uh, just to get into this really quickly, according to The Intercept, there are two primary missions for this this command post, at least in the recent years. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. One is called M7-600. And, uh, and that's the whole spy satellites thing where it's, it's actually uh, providing continuous coverage of the majority of the Eurasian landmass and Africa, which is, uh, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. Looking at... Continuous all- coverage is in 24-hour surveillance? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Unlimited data plan. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> Unlimited, it don't stop. Uh, then this was later upgraded, again, according to the Intercept, um, as part of the second mission, which is M8300. It's probably M8300. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it involved four satellite, uh, a four-satellite constellation that covered the former Soviet Union, China, South Asia, East Asia, the Middle East, Eastern Europe, and territories in the Atlantic Ocean. All the hits, all the good stuff, <laughs> yeah. all the good ones. Wow. That, that's a lot of stuff. That's also a Dennis Reynolds quote I threw in Yes, there. it is. So, Thank you for that. Uh, so we would – yeah, we would absolutely love to do an episode on this. Maybe we can do it as part of a live show in Australia one day, Ooh. right? Or maybe in New York and Boston and oh, Philadelphia. Yes, <laughs> as well. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's true. So let's let's hold that. And thank you, Michael, for taking the time to call. Uh, we have another call, I think, and this is one that you found, right, Noel? Well, yes, Ben, it is indeed. Let's roll the tape. Hey, guys, it's Elise Hurt. Uh, just listen to the show. Thank you so much for the shout out. I'm a big fan. Um, I wanted to follow up on none of the All of Us Project posts um, that I post in the Facebook group, but on 23andMe and the possibility of genome targeted ads that y'all mentioned in an earlier podcast of this week, I believe. So, Anne Bojitsky started 23andMe in 2006, 
In 2007, Mojitsky and Google founder, co-founder Sergey Brin got married. However, that same year in 2007, Google invested $3.7 million in 23andMe. So my big question is, without you know, trying to be careful not to slander, is what is the possibility that these two have had a greater plot between the two companies from 23andMe's conception? Because in, you know, people that I generally know uh, is that people usually know each other for at least one year before they get married. Um, so 2006, the company started. 2007, they get married. 2007, uh, Google invests. You want to talk about data and um, targeted ads. I mean, what a better partner, except for maybe Facebook up until recently, um, to pair up with. So let me know what y'all think. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, this has been a hot topic for us lately. I I think in a couple of different directions because we've done stuff on targeted ads. We've done stuff on like the Golden State Killer, for example, and how this these DNA databases that are being created kind of without the full knowledge of the participants, right? And I think I've said before that as part of another show I worked on, I spit in one of those vials, not for 23andMe, but for Ancestry. Yeah. And I've only just kind of started realizing the ramifications of what I might have done sure. um, in terms of like, not that I have anything to hide, but what if, what if one day my spit ends up in a database and there's some connection to a pre-existing condition or a family uh, genetic marker that might lead me to be declined from being insured? I mean, these are like right. new territories that are... Uh, as a result of this technology and then the way people are just giving it away and what 23andMe is doing with the information, which is what? Uh, yeah, they are obsessively hoarding it. They're also sharing it with law enforcement agencies. We got a lot of feedback on this when we did the update on the Golden State Killer. But we should also emphasize this. You don't have to join 23andMe. You just have to be related to someone who got arrested or was ever in the military. And we say related, even distantly, it works. And the concern is uh, that that there are not very good laws on how this information is used and how much you are allowed to know about how it's being used. Yeah. Right? So the, the scary and most plausible example so far is the insurance, the privatized insurance thing that, I, that you had just been alluding to, right? The idea that your children before they're born could be treated as if they have a pre-existing condition due to a medical test that they did not consent to. And that is not even what we're talking about. We're no. talking more about the relationship between Anne Wojcicki and Sergey Bren of yeah. Google and Wojcicki being the CEO and founder of 23andMe, um, both super young Super rich, super influential people in the tech world. Um, as we know, Google has its hands in everything from like mapping and satellites to, you know, committing every book on the planet to a digital document of some kind to obviously first and foremost revolutionizing search. And all of that is for the purposes in some form or fashion of getting people's behavior and being able to track the way people behave and use that to help sell ads. And ultimately to predict behavior. To predict goes behavior. even further, right? Yeah, exactly. So what a, ma- what a match made in heaven, this mm-hmm. relationship <laughs> between these two young star-crossed lovers. And I thought our caller's point about how, you know, I mean, not to, to 
editorialize and insert ulterior motives in the situation, but it is a pretty interesting marriage of convenience mm-hmm. in terms of the synergy between the two types of tech that those companies provide, right? Yeah, and they, uh, the other aspect of this that might interest some people is that Sergi and Anne divorced in 2015, I believe, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And and but the investment that we talked about, right. that happened pretty quickly as well, pretty subsequently after the marriage. And I don't know. You, obviously, you can invest in someone's company without marrying them, but uh, it's weird. It's a weird confluence. You know what I mean? Whether or not you think there's a conspiracy or something shady going on, the timing is. Very strange. Yeah. And Matt, I know you have feelings about this stuff. I can see you kind of – I can see the gears turning there with you. I'm wondering what you think about this. Well, I have two feelings. The first is that uh, influential, powerful, rich people tend to hang out with each other. So True. I can see how perhaps these people – you know, an aspiring CEO, someone who's going to create a company and do this thing, is hanging out with, you know, somebody at Google – they hit it off. I can imagine how their relationship came about without conspiring to, you know, fund this company or something and partnering and all that. In the same vein, my my thoughts go to what could Google possibly use all of this stuff for outside of the marketing and advertising sphere? Mm-hmm. Like when you're when you're creating such powerful algorithms and artificial not necessarily intelligences, but versions of artificial intelligence, like pre-intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do with all that DNA information? Oh, well, it depends on – you could make the world a better place. I think you could too if you look at, you know, health-wise, health, uh, like how do we fix certain things and issues with DNA. But you could also just catalog, like, what is a human? And patented. Yeah, you could patent it. Uh, a, a friend of mine who I was just visiting with in New York over the weekend pointed something out to me that I thought was really interesting. Um, the idea that mainly what we use AI for today is pattern recognition yeah. and like digging through insane amounts of, of data sets. So, you know, who's better at that pattern recognition than Google with like the whole deep dream mm-hmm. thing and the way they can pull data out of this neural network or whatever because people are feeding into the system constantly. And it's like, you know, like our caller was saying, what better relationship could there have been than maybe at one point Facebook, but now Facebook is sort of tanking, and I think people are being much more cautious about what they feed into Facebook now, I think. I'm some, not, some, some, some of us some are. Some people are. But Google, you're just, it's just like you're in it, man. Like if you've got Gmail, they're reading your emails, and you know it, and you don't even care. Or if you know someone who has Gmail on their phone and they hang out with you and you talk to them, the microphone part is true. They're collecting massive amounts of data. There was something interesting on the 23andMe website, too. In their defense, they say genetic information that you share with others could be used against your interest. You should be careful about sharing your genetic information with others. I think they're missing the fact that they are the others. Well, and is the interest like the interest of humankind? (laughs) <laughs> right. Is it against the interest of humankind because they're fig- the robots are going to figure out how to annihilate us even faster? But is it also inevitable that this sort of information would be cataloged and categorized? Stop. I think it's inevitable. I think you're right. But – And I'm scared. <laughs> but, 
But uh, that is up to the future to decide. You right? know what? Uh, another thing uh, I found out about having this conversation with my, my, my buddy Matt um, is about a book that I'm really excited to read that I have not read yet. It's called The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future by a guy named Kevin Kelly, who I believe is the founder of Wired.com. And he – it's actually – where this article, 23andMe Goes Global and its data mining efforts that I'm pulling some of this info from, is is from. And he, this book, from the sound of it, is a much more uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Cautiously optimistic view of the way AI will affect our lives in the future. It's more like things like this idea that everything we do will one day be a subscription, whether it's uh, our housing situation, our clothes, our, our dishes, like everything in some form is going to be a subscription base. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And also one of his theories is that AI is not going to be about a one-stop shop, artificial intelligence, sentient creature. It's just going to be better machines that are more specialized and suited to doing one particular thing really well. So I kind of, I don't know, I like that idea. Okay. Yeah. So just just trying to temper the, the gloom here a little right, bit. Right, yeah. When, and that's what a lot of experts agree will be the case rather than some overarching eye in the sky Skynet thing. There's one thing that predicts weather patterns. There's another thing that makes sure the food you want is ordered on time, you know? And speaking of inevitable, it's time for, in a massive spoiler alert, a break for a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, folks, fellow conspiracy realists and skeptics alike. I don't want it to go unmentioned or unnoticed here that our colleague Noel has selflessly been playing the clips that you're hearing here. So thank you for going the extra mile, Noel. Uh, We have one here that I thought was pretty funny. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to it yet, but it led me to a weird thing that we'll end up digging into. Hey, guys. My name is Amanda. Um, I'm a longtime fan, and I was just listening to your episode on the Kennedy curse. Um, At the top, I was just hearing a lot of accents being thrown around. Um, I figured I could contribute. I am born and raised just on the very outskirts of um, Boston proper. And while I've worked very, very hard to sort of mask my accent in a way, um, I do occasionally get a person who will ask me, you know, can you say park the car in Harvard Yard? And I'm going to give you the monologue that I usually give back to them, which goes a little something like this. Um, you can't pack your car in Harvard Yard because Harvard Yard's not actually a pack. What you got to do is you got to go down, bang a U, and come back to the parking garage underneath the Boston Commons. They're only going to charge you like 20 bucks a day, kid. Like, you can't beat it. So <laughs> I hope that helps you guys navigate Boston a little bit better. And um, I'd really appreciate it if you uh, came out and visited us, you know. So um, I'd love to be there when you do. Catch you guys later. Bye. Oh, that was delightful wow. on so many levels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, Samantha, we we hope that it is – a pleasant surprise to you, if it is still a surprise, that we are indeed visiting Boston in October. Oh, so we should also make sure this episode comes out before October. Totally. That's yeah. a good idea. So we will be doing a live tour. We are stopping uh, in Boston. Yeah, you can go uh, to stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com and click on the handy little uh, what tour? What is it? Tour live, tab, live shows, <laughs> live shows tab. Click on that one, and you can get tickets there right now if you want to. Yes, and furthermore, this accent, this accent comment was 
I thought that was a pretty cool line. That was great. You got to go to the Kapok underneath. It's well, not. <laughs> I, I like the way it also just broke out of the mold of the traditional sing-songy kind yeah. of like BS little adage and really just went good with full Boston. Mm-hmm. Like this is literally how you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And we love playing with accents and voices on this show. Originally, I thought, oh, this is cool. We get to hear other people's impressions. You know what I mean? But it led it led me to something weird that I hadn't thought about before, which is apparently accent changes or perceived changes in accent are a huge part of some theories that uh, used to be really close to you, Matt, the, yeah. the idea of faked deaths or body doubles, particularly with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> I will. I will. Uh, so strange accent switches have been noted in at least three conspiracies relating to celebrities. One was Lindsay Lohan. One's Avril Lavigne. That's a that's a newer fake your death. Really? Got replaced conspiracy. I, I don't even know that one yet. Okay, I'm going to search some Avril Lavigne stuff now. Did she write Skater Boy? She did write Skater okay. Boy. Okay. Yeah, and she also married Chad Kroger from the most hated band in America, Nickelback. Oh, They're still snap. at the top of the list, huh? I think they are. Yeah, they're probably much beloved in Canada, though. Write in, let us know. Yeah, and hey, Smash Mouth, you'll be number one one day. <laughs> they're my favorite band. I, 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 I know, man. So another person who was cited for this accent switch would be Paul McCartney himself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a strange thing because as we've discovered on several other episodes or past shows, accents are entirely mutable. We speak like who we hang with, to quote dilated peoples. And it's a good one. You should check that out. <laughs> yeah. Do you like that one? Mm-hmm. And if we all moved uh, to a different part of the world, the three of us and Paul and you listening to this, eventually not only would our accents, assuming we all spoke English, change, but they would tend to change together. So if you're from a different part of the U.S. or if you're from a different part of the the Anglosphere, then not only will you sound less British or Australian – but will sound less and less American depending on where we're living. That's really cool, Ben. Well, it's just I'm saying it's possible that Lindsay Lohan and Avril Lavigne just started living somewhere else. Just hanging out with different people, man. But Paul McCartney's dead. That's pretty That's pretty rock solid, right, Paul? No, no, he's the only one that's not dead. No, and no. Ringo. I always forget about Ringo. Gosh, I'm a bad person. No, that's Paul's replacement, yeah. according to the— oh. yeah. Oh, I see. Cordy I Paul. see what you're doing. I see what you guys are doing. You're acting as though this is real. Yeah. <laughs> the walrus <laughs> was Paul. That was the that was the clue. Isn't Paul is dead? Paul is dead like a backwards mask in on the white album? Did I make that up? It's open to interpretation. I Fair. Think. Whenever you hear I buried Paul. Paul uh, says Wow. Okay. Paul says I buried Paul. Well, it's actually cranberry sauce. Oh yeah, that's I had all, I heard that as well. We should do an episode on backward masking. That's great. It's a huge part of the satanic panic, and it's a huge part of a lot of music conspiracies. Yeah, yes, Stairway to Heaven. He goes, my sweet Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which Satan? is is weird because the ones that you can actually find and prove 
do exist. You know, the statements that you can hear when a record is played backwards, they're usually not that terrible. Oh, no. The, the, the Zeppelin one's hilarious, though. He says, there was a little tool shed <laughs> where he made us suffer. Oh, sweet Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. That's creepy. Though. Uh, yeah, it really is. It, but it's, it's, you know, it's not like they're saying – on December 8th, 1973, at 4 p.m., we got together and killed a child. Well, I mean, that's... The that's... longitude and latitude are thus <laughs> and this and that. Because that's what... I think that's what a lot of people during the satanic panic ages were alleging. That's so. fair. So thank you again, Samantha. That was that was a lot of fun. Let's, uh, let's go on now to a message from Dan. Hey, this is Dan McCollum, a physician practicing in Augusta, Georgia. Wanted to call as a follow-up to the Cuba Neurological Issue episode. There was a JAMA article, the Journal of the American Medical Association, that published finding some neurologic deficits that were present in the uh, survivors of, of this alleged attack. And they described a whole bunch of very technical things, such as neurological testing that involved the vestibular system, everything from squirting water in people's ears to see what their eyes do, and a lot of other stuff. And they, they described uh, significant results. However, that has come under attack because it's some very shoddy methodology. So it looks like they used a cutoff of 40% as justif- justifying neurologic deficits, which means that almost everyone would have at least one abnormal test out of the 37 tests that they put these folks through. So the odds that, that you would actually be normal by this testing are very, very low because they just kept testing you again and again. And it was roughly a coin toss about whether any individual would actually be negative on those. So three of the six people that completed every test would have actually been normal on every test. A shady side note is that a ridiculous 40% cough is never noticed in other trials. We usually use 5% or less as a cutoff for normal. So it seems likely that there was some pressure for this journal to, to accept this, which could have been political or due to funding because they do make money by selling reprints of these articles. So it's really unclear as to exactly why this got missed in the peer review process, which as a peer reviewer myself is very difficult. And they could have just missed this because it was buried in an electronic supplement. So when I originally read the article, I thought this was proof of objective issues with the neurological status of these folks that were working at the Cuban embassy. But instead, it looks like this was just poor science. So the interesting thing is, is that this is likely due more to psychological reasons, you know, commonly known as mass hysteria. Um, but I, I think that I don't want to diminish the fact that these folks are suffering from something. There were a tremendous amount of subjective symptoms. It just isn't good data that it looks like these were actually objective harm to them. It's hard to see how a mysterious sonic weapon could have done this. So in all, um, I, I think this is more of a psychological thing. These folks do need help, but it's less because of brain damage due to this weapon and more due to um, the stressful situation of being in Cuba, doing a very tough job. So, in all, um, very interesting podcast. Y'all keep doing what you're doing, and thanks again. Bye. And that was our medical uh, resident a smart gentleman from Augusta, Dan. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dan. Shout yeah. out to Augusta, too. That's my hometown. What up? What up, Augusta? And thanks for bringing up these fantastic points, Dan. I think that's something that we kicked back and forth when we did our original episode was the possibility that there could be, without diminishing the suffering of people, a psychological aspect to this. The story dropped out of the news. Yeah pretty uh, rapidly, right? And if you check some of the news so far, you'll see you'll see reports dating to around this time last year, 
maybe a little bit further after, uh, wherein people from other countries also stationed as diplomats in Cuba reported experiencing similar symptoms. I believe a Canadian diplomat reported similar similar symptoms. Uh, there were some allegations that something similar was occurring in China, I think, for a time. But at this point, it has been considered officially not solved, I, yeah. I believe, so far. But there isn't a lot of focus on the methodology of the research as Dr. Dan Augusta points out. Dr. Dr. Augusta. Augusta. I, I, I'm just <laughs> making doctor nicknames. What do, what do you guys think? Augusta Dan or Dan Augusta? How about we just call him Dr. Dan? Dr. Dan. Go with Dr. Dan Augusta. Who we're going to have to reach back out to whenever we have a question <laughs> like this uh, or just have him come down to the studio. Is, is Augusta coming down? Where is Augusta? It's uh, on about two hours on I-20 east. Okay. From here. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So heading towards the water. That's right. Mm. Nice. Okay, so we went through and we found the JAMA article, the Journal of American Medical Association, that we believe Dan was speaking about. It it comes from March 20th, 2018, mm -hmm. and it goes through and uh, we can read some of this stuff. A lot of it is um, honestly difficult for me to comprehend as a layman, a layperson in this in this field, in a medical field, but let's go through this. In the findings section of this article, they note that there's a series of 21 individuals that were looked at for this. They were exposed to directional, audible, and sensory phenomena, and there was a, what they call a constellation of acute persistent signs and symptoms that were identified in these individuals. There's no associated history of any kind of blunt head trauma in these people, and apparently following exposure, patients experienced cognitive vestibular, which honestly, I don't know what that means. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe you're like Dan, or we could just Google it. But for now, I, Matt doesn't know what that is. <laughs> uh, also ocular motor dysfunction. So having to do with the eyes and ability to move them in certain ways, along with auditory symptoms and sleep abnormalities and headache. Then it goes through and it talks about the percentages of individuals and what, you know, what was found in them, in right. their, the results of the testing. And it's just a whole bunch of stuff that we kind of covered in that episode, like what people were actually dealing with. Um, I And here's the other thing. JAMA is one of those journals, like Dan said, where you have to pay to get the full information. If you want to get the whole thing, the whole article, you have to pay a subscription fee or just buy it outright. If you go through that. Oh. No, no, I'm not say, I'm not about to condone anything illegal. Okay. There is always the possibility of writing directly to okay. the researchers, the scientists, the experts who created the study okay. and asking them directly, hey, could you send me a copy of this? Ah, do it's they It's not get, illegal because they own it. Because doesn't that money you pay when you do it the other way typically doesn't even go to the researcher? Quite often. through just like a third party kind of thing. Yeah, quite often. Well, cool. we should get Dan to flex his uh, his connection muscles that his he's academic got. academic chops? Yeah, yeah. It's Dr. Dan. <laughs> Dr. Dan Augusta, man. That's right. Dr. Dan Augusta, uh, if, you know, if you ever want to help us out, send us something. Uh, we would accept it. And while we wait to hear from Dr. Dan, uh, let's take a break for a quick word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Dan got back to us. It was fantastic. Kidding. No, we're still waiting. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't attempted anything with Dan yet. Dr. Dan. Gosh, sorry, Dr. Dan. (laughs) Uh, But we do have something different 
for our next voicemail goes back to one of our uh, one of our episodes that generated some of the largest amounts of response in the history of the show. You're talking about sleep paralysis, Ben? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Yeah, I picked this one mainly because I just like these stories. Maybe like is a strong word, but um, I, I always enjoy hearing the different variations that people have, um, but yet the similarities that seem to continue to crop up when it comes to these stories of sleep paralysis. That being a phenomenon where you find yourself half awake, half asleep. Most people report feeling quite awake, though, and conscious. But you can't move and typically you are confronted with some sort of terrifying uh, vision or hallucination, what have you, that feels intensely real and often it's repeated and it's something that people really, really struggle with. So here's one that I found particularly chilling. Hello, STWYTK gang. I'm Joe from Washington State. I've sent this in an email beforehand, but I'd rather give my account of the more interesting event in person. So I've had a pretty storied history with sleep paralysis incidents, but you know, I'm also nearsight, pretty badly nearsighted and can barely read anything a good two feet in front of me. So strangely enough, my sleep paralysis incidents have had a more tactile tone to them. And I'll go over one of the more creepy and almost eldritch incidents here. So I was sleeping in my bed and kind of woke up a little bit. It's in that kind of fugue state when you're about to go to sleep, but you're not really going to sleep. And so during that kind of period of time, when I began to realize I was getting a sleep paralysis incident, it started with some auditory stuff and some kind of mumbling, and particularly the approaching steps of a quadruped through the wall behind me. Then I heard some growling, which resumed as I felt some sort of long muzzle bump and brush against me. The creature then examined my right shoulder, and with its jaw and snout, I swear maybe even sniffed at me, then moved to my left side through the wall and began to bite in my, into my shoulder and left side of my neck. And meanwhile, voices to the right of me wailed about something about musical chairs and, why won't you join us? I was pretty conscious at the time as well, but I knew it was a hallucination, but the level of accuracy, whatever, was to... That dog thing that was attacking me was astonishing. Even down to feeling gentle taps to my right and the frantic biting and tugging on my neck at my left. Out of my experiences, none of them were as downright hostile as that one, though. I remained, I remained rather calm through the experience, but it was just a hallucination. But I was more or less fascinated by how immediately scary it was. I knew it wouldn't harm me, but I just rode through it. And also, join us has been a phase that's appeared more than once in my audible hallucinations as well. Not to mention I've been super okay with dogs, and I've never been bitten or attacked by one before. Only afterwards, I made the connection between my sleep paralysis incident and H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Hounds of Tindaloos. Could this tactile hallucination have been a Tindaloos hound? I wasn't whacked out of hard-to-find narcotics, but my bed was adjacent to a corner on the right side where I was sleeping. It did approach through the wall. And sure, it's a little absurd, but the connections to the story is rather interesting. That was great. Yeah, wow. and that guy should run for president. 
Oh, yeah? Just this, the sound of his the voice. Cadence. Yeah, the cadence. <laughs> and, I, and I have to say, when I first heard this, I thought it was somebody doing this story through, like, a speech-to-text program. I also wondered that. And then he started, once he got through the intro, his cadence became a little more natural. And, uh, uh, but man, that what a great story. And that, that's, that, I just thought, that I just wanted to share that because I thought it was funny. But, good Lord, that's probably the most visceral uh, tactile, as he put it, one of these sleep paralysis stories that I've ever personally heard. And I love the connection to the Lovecraft, which I think tickled your fancy there, Ben. Yeah, uh, Hounds of Tendalos was uh, created by Frank Belknap Long, and then later it was in, incorporated into the Cthulhu mythos, which is which is a neat thing. You can do it today, by the way, Joe, if you feel like setting your wonderful thoughts and visions onto paper or keyboard and write this out as a story, you very well could join part of the H.P. Lovecraft mythos. But yeah. I'd like to say it's actually a pretty terrifying vision that Joe's mm-hmm. got here. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it is wonderful that he has that story, but Ben, I'm I would not want to experience that. That sounds horrifying. Like a dog gnawing at you while you're hearing someone chanting. Yeah, agreed. What's the line between reality and uh, perception as well, you know? And I think in that previous sleep paralysis episode, we had all talked about whether or not we experienced it. And most people, according to the statistics, experience something like this. Even if it's just being held down or just unable to move. Mm -hmm. The hallucinations vary. I think a big part of it's the feeling of, of uh, pressure on your chest, mm-hmm. as though something's kind of sitting on you. But um, the where it gets really interesting is these kind of repeated uh, stories of apparitions or you know ghostly figures. Mm-hmm. And this one, I don't know, this one really, really got, really got me. So yeah. Thanks for writing in, Joe. Hope you're getting some better sleep. Calling in. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's right, calling in. Uh, you, you're so well-spoken that we we did wonder if you had written this down. <laughs> but, uh, yes, massively appreciate it. And speaking of ghostly figures and haunting events, we have a voicemail from someone who wishes to remain anonymous out there in Chicago. Yo, I wasn't going to contact you guys. Um, I heard the end of the Serial Killer podcast you guys just did. I just wanted to say um, I'm out here in the west side of Chicago, and I'm pretty sure there's a serial killer that has been on the loose. A uh, couple newspapers have done reports about it. I think the numbers are like 75 women have been strangled or smothered in Chicago, and uh, 50 of them are still unsolved. There are uh, you know, a couple arrests for them, but most of the people arrested obviously claim that they did not do the crimes they were arrested for. I guess here's where it gets crazy. There are also a string of bodies found burnt in dumpsters across the city for the last maybe decade that there have been no arrests for, so there may even be two serial killers on the loose here in Chicago. Uh, I don't know anything about, you know, their uh, M.O.'s, I'm pretty sure multiple weapons have been used to strangle these women. But, uh, yeah, that might be something you want to look into. Definitely touch on your next Serial Killer podcast. Also, a uh, big fan of the show, guys. Keep at it. Wow. Thank you so much for writing in Anonymous in Chicago. Uh, we appreciate it immensely. 
so much so that we're probably going to need to make this the focus of an entire episode itself, uh, similar to some of the other things we encountered today. The, there's there's a fascinating thread here because specifically this caller is referring to things run in the Chicago Tribune. So these are stand-up papers. In January of 2018, the Chicago Tribune ran a special report detailing how 75 women have been strangled or smothered in Chicago since 2001. Uh, the vast majority of their killers got away. So the actual law enforcement of Chicago says that there is not any pattern to this. The Chicago police are denying any possible serial killer and they're saying that this is the result of a digitized hysteria, right? A social media frenzy and that they are treating the cases of missing or murdered women on a – as single events rather. Yes. And this – I could see how it would be difficult to trust the authorities in this situation because there's a lot of violence that I think people outside of Chicago are not aware of. It's really frustrating how, how much um, violence is going on out there as someone who is not living there but just continues to read about it and you're like, oh, wow, more people died. And then on LiveLeak, you'll – that's just me. You'll mm -hmm. see like shootings that happened in Chicago over the weekend. And you're like, wow, okay, that's uh, unsettling. Great. And, you know, being so far away from it, but just knowing that it's happening and happening and happening and happening, um, it's hard to wrap your head around what it must be like to be a police officer or an investigator or a homicide detective living in that area where there's just so much crime occurring at any time and how bogged down you're getting. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine through the eyes mm -hmm. of all the people involved here. It's intense. And this is probably stating the obvious, but I mean, I was recently there for about a week and um, this is pretty quarantined in terms of the parts of the city where this is happening. I think it's pretty exclusively like on the south side of Chicago, I want to say, because the areas that I was hanging out in, it just didn't feel – I didn't feel threatened. It felt very almost like overly gentrified mm -hmm. in, in kind of a – a little bit of a creepy way, to be honest. Yeah, last time I was in Chicago, it was definitely the south side where this sort of stuff was happening, particularly the dumpster discoveries. Vice had a great news piece on this last year where they noted that Chicago is well known for having one of the highest homicide rates in the country and one of the worst records for solving murders. So it is completely possible that there's an isolated event, but it's completely understandable that people would believe there was a serial killer. Chicago also, we have to say, this is not a ding on the current city because we're not Chicago natives. Absolutely. But Chicago does have an historic reputation for being a very corrupt city wherein crimes were covered up, you know, dating predating the days of prohibition, right? Some yeah. timeline check out there? Yeah, it does. It does. I remember hearing rumors about, I think it was Barack Obama who was coming out of Chicago and they're like, oh man. Mm -hmm. He's a Chicagoan. You're like what? <laughs> really? But then, yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying there's anything to that. I'm not saying mm -hmm. there's anything bad about Chicago or living in Chicago. I'm just saying those uh, rumors still subsist from the historical um, runnings of Chicago. Yeah, and this leads us to a couple of questions for you, fellow conspiracy realist. Have you had any experience with Chicago? Do you think there's any sand to the 
claims that there's a serial killer loose and at work. If so, why or why not? Because it sounds like a lot of locals do believe this despite what CPD is saying. Well, I was reading just now something out of ABC, a local affiliate in ABC Eyewitness News. And in June, they were specifically looking at the deaths of two women. Um, Just want to see here so we can put this on our list to look out for later. Mm -hmm. Um, Shantaya Smith, who was 26, and then um, Sidaria Davis, 15, uh, two women who were found like West Side Mm -hmm. building and then in a Lawndale garage. So anyway, um, just more information for you if you want to look any of this stuff up or find something out, write to us, please. And we're getting the signal from our trusty super producer that we're running a little bit long. But it's not a very nice gesture, Paul. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's – I, I would describe it as articulate. What That's do you fair. think? That's fair. Mission control, baby. He's got to keep us in line. So, so as we leave the studio today, we want to end on one last call – And it's not something that we're so much going to discuss as something that we wanted to share with you to get your own thoughts. Hello. Um, I was calling just because there's something on my mind. Um, Big fan of your show. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems to be that the more you find out about conspiracies being true or active foreigner political Intentions trying to, I guess, what I'm trying to get at is, I feel like all we do is learn more and more about how there are people trying to farm upvotes on Reddit to gain internet influence for corporate interests or political interests. You find out that there's Russian internet squads meant to cause division and hatred um, and fatigue on comment threads. You find out that news sources are meant to misinform you. Uh, They're meant to cause doubt. Uh, And I feel like I had to tap out several months ago from just learning more and more about how much things have been misleading. Um, I felt a fatigue. I felt an anxiety that the only way I could cure it was stepping away from learning more and understanding more. And it feels like these active parties trying to cause this to happen have won. And I don't know how to feel about that for my personal health, mental health and my personal comfort, I guess um, I had to step away and that was their explicit goal. And I just want to know how you guys felt about that. I still tune in. I still listen. um, But I just give myself a, a cushioned space between me and finding out about the stuff that's really going to rile me up or get me upset because it, it just seems to be the purpose of people online to cause these feelings for motives that I'll never even begin to understand. Or if I do understand, will just bum me out even more. So I hope to hear from you guys uh, or at least discuss it or I don't know what you want to do with this opinion. But um, thank you for hearing me out. Uh, have a good day. I think it's important just to comment quickly on this. Yes. Just just to say that 
I think perhaps the three of us had shared some of these, have shared some of these feelings at some point. And I don't want to speak for you guys, but just the overwhelming nature of the information that's out there and the the faucets that never close of news and good and bad things, but mostly bad things occurring. And just how that makes you feel personally, how that affects your mood on a day-to-day basis. Well, not to mention that we kind of have to be tapped into it pretty re- pretty 24-7 just to make this show and other shows that we work on. And it's like our job, you know. I mean, my kid gives me a hard time because I'm always like looking at my phone and stuff. And I know that I'm sort of feeding the beast in some ways by being tapped in all the time. But I also convince myself that it's for the greater good of like being tapped in for, you know, stuff that I might be able to use to discuss on this or other shows. But at the same time, sometimes it's so overwhelming that like you just feel like you you want to just unplug all of it because, yes, it can have a, a toxic effect on your on your mental health for sure. Um, and it's something I struggle with every day just to try to balance that out and not be so plugged in all the time and also be able to temper some of this negativity with, hey, you know, people are still OK. I like you guys. Yeah. I like everyone that's called in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the last thing, Ben, I think something he said resonates with something we've discussed before in this where uh, he was he's anonymous, uh, this person they called in. He talked about all of these entities that are like winning basically the in the, the fight for control and just wanted to calm maybe his fears a little bit just with what we've discussed about how it's a bunch of different entities and they're all vying for the same control. It's not one big monolithic entity, right? Yes, Matt, that's absolutely right. Anonymous, thank you for writing to us, and we are glad to be able to be the bearers of good news in this situation. It is possible, distinctly possible, that there is some single group that runs the world. However, it is much more probable that there are multiple groups who feel like they deserve to run the world. They are very powerful in certain senses and very powerful in certain spheres, uh, and they're not incentivized to get along and Voltron into one big overarching thing because what does power do? It turns a lot of people into essentially crappier versions of themselves. And those crappier versions of someone are going to be much less likely to cooperate with someone else who is powerful. They will be seen as a rival, a frenemy of convenience, or uh, a threat to be eliminated. So it's very rare. While we're thanking people, we want to thank Christine, Michael, Elise, Samantha, Dr. Dan A., Joe, and uh, our other anonymous listener in Chicago. Yeah, and if you have feelings about anything, if you have thoughts, anything, any stories you want to share, just write to us. We're on Twitter, Conspiracy Stuff, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Call us, one eight three three stdwytk Said it really fast. Uh, or just write us a good old-fashioned email. We want to hear from you. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.